This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on your power bill, to use technology wisely, and to live a more sustainable life. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. I'm on the road, and I'm up in uh, Dahlonega, Georgia, Lumpkin County, with my friend Andrew, Andrew Lane, here in Lumpkin County. Andrew, great to have you on Energy Matter. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Andrew, we've, we've been talking about getting out to your place here, looking at your solar, your batteries, your composting, and other things. I mean, you're up here. Folks, uh, maybe, you know, they maybe go to the mountains in the fall or whatever, but it's... Uh, you're up on a hill out of the way a little bit, and I'm glad to finally uh, get up here to your house and be able to talk to you about this. I mean, you and I met, I guess, a couple, maybe maybe four or five years ago. You had come back from the air. Um, maybe, you, maybe you'd just gotten back from ASU. Remind me how we met and, um, and, and what took you to ASU. Well, in the, I deployed my last Army deployment after 24 years, Little Marine Corps, mostly Army. Um, I, I uh, went to Afghanistan, and a, a great woman, Felicia French, uh, she's now retired as a full bird colonel. She is from Arizona, so obviously she has a bit of a, uh, a favorite. But she told me, and it's true, I earned the Army Graduate Certificate of Sustainability from Arizona State online when I returned. And then I just decided to finish out the whole full-fledged master's degree of sustainable solutions. And actually, Commissioner Tim, I called you because I heard you on NPR and I was just amazed that Georgia, with your leadership and, and Commissioner um, Bubba and, and some others, were ahead of California. And that just shocked me that that was even possible, that Georgia could be more progressive in energy matters than California. And I was just amazed at how approachable you are. And, um, and I know you're about relationships, and I really appreciate that. You served in the military. Uh, is the military a career you would recommend for uh, young women and young men today? It is. It is. Uh, obviously, going to war, uh, I lost a good friend um, that went to North Georgia with me. I went to North Georgia College for my undergrad. Then I got a master's degree at Arizona State. Um, so that can happen. And it, but bad things happen all the time. And we try to stay, uh, keep safe, our family and friends especially. But the benefits um, are, are the pension. It's hard to find a, a pension after 20 years uh, these days. My mom used to say, if you work for Chick-fil-A or Bell South or Delta... You'll be good to go. Bell South, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But um, North Georgia College is the senior military college of Georgia, so I'm proud of that. And the, and the Army and the Marine Corps, the Air Force, the Navy, they're all going green other than color screens. In 2010, the Marine Corps sent an infantry company to Afghanistan with solar panels. That infantry company decreased its liquid fuels by 90%. And you don't have to be a combat arms kind of guy to figure out if you're in Iraq or Afghanistan, where would ISIS or Al-Qaeda like to attack us? Convoys, especially fuel convoys. You figure out which one those are, because those are flammable convoys. So uh, they sent that same company sound, sent out infantry platoons 700 pounds lighter with rechargeable batteries and, and solar panels that are flexible and, and camouflage. So they don't reflect light too much. And they obviously carried out more food, water, and ammunition so they can stay there longer and be more effective without air supplies, which make noise. And the enemy also hears things in his backyard and might come find it before you do. So what got you interested in renewable energy? I mean, was it your time in the military? Was it at UNG or at ASU? How did you first, uh, I mean, when, when was it you first went, wow, this, this makes a lot of sense? It's just a culmination of events, but our involvement in Iraq, if you, as, as the former director of the CIA said, James Woolsey said, would we have invaded Iraq if Iraq had been the world's third largest supplier of broccoli? I don't think so. Um, so I spent a year in Iraq, a year in Afghanistan, um, six weeks in Kuwait back when, um, that was in the regular army, but it's, uh, just, we have all the resources we need. We talk about the resources America has sunshine and, uh, uh, wind. A friend of mine, he was stationed, he didn't, we didn't meet until he got out of the army and I was out of the army basically, but he was stationed in Germany with the U S army as a tanker driving M1 Abrams battle tanks. 
And he was there when Germany was going renewable, and he said if they can go solar with their not-so-great sunshine, Germany's not known for its sunny beaches, um, then surely, surely we can in America. And I think really California has led the way. I mean, I appreciate what you said about Georgia, but you know, we'll really never catch California in terms of electric vehicles or solar. And I don't, you know, with our with our commission, I don't know that we necessarily want to catch them. Um, we do. We do feel like solar has had a, a great impact in our state from a clean jobs perspective, especially helping poor middle and south Georgia counties whose tax digest has been eroding. And we you bring in these, you know, these this technology, the panels, the inverters, you increase the value of the land, increase the taxes, and it really helps everybody. So, you know, we've really seen cheap utility scale solar put downward pressure on rates in Georgia because it is coming in cheaper than any other form of energy. So I think solar has really matured. Batteries, I know you've got batteries here. Uh, when do you think batteries are going to hit their stride? Is it is it going to be another couple of years, five years, ten years? What do you think? I just happened to catch uh, a, a, a YouTube video. Tony Seba, you may have heard of him. He did a presentation in YouTube as well, uh, wrote a book on the adoption of technology, and he shows a photograph, and most of us in this community, if you've been in sustainability long, you've seen this photograph, a picture of New York City in 1900, filled with horses and carriages, one car, find the car, black and white. 1913, the, the street is filled with cars, find the horse, there's only one horse, amongst 50 or 60 or 70, 80 cars. So that's in 13 years, with a world war coming up, um, that's how fast that changed. And if you'd said on 1900 in New York City, do you think this automobile, if someone even knew what it was, would replace the horse, they would have laughed you out of, out of the city. And 2025 is when he says storage, energy storage, solar is really going to tip the scale, and electric vehicles are going to tip the scale and become adopted by almost anyone with any kind of a pulse in the business world, especially, and probably most residentials if you have good uh, access to the sun, etc. Tell me about um, the panels. I'm, we're on your front porch, uh, socially distanced and, uh, and interviewing here. Tell me about the panels that I'm looking at and the batteries in your house. It was done by Southern Energy View, uh, a great guy who went to my college 10 years after I got there. Not related to Wyatt, but Scott Earp, um, and he's trying to play with that a little bit. He uh, has a solar company based out of Gainesville. He did the work. Um, Jackson EMC provided 25% of my solar panel costs, uh, uh, really within a week of, I was asking my wife, do we think that we submitted, and, and him, Scott Earp and his people, do we think we've submitted everything we need to have submitted to Jackson EMC to get that rebate? And about that's when the, the check showed up for 4,000 something dollars. That tells you right there, uh, $4,500, $450 per kilowatt. That's why we got 10 kilowatts to max that out, which is a fabulous thing that Jackson EMC does and still this day does. Um, we added the batteries just because it's good, and we've tested it once when we had a, an outage. Uh, sure enough, uh, certain things like our kitchen mainly is fully operational um, when we have an outage, and that's good for the refrigerator, cooking. Um, obviously, we can't cook for the whole county because we'd be out of energy and with 20 kilowatt-hour batteries, what we have down there. But for uh, to keep, if you had to, nobody opened the fridge. We're going to put the fridge three times today, so decide when you want it. And nobody's opened it without those times to keep that cold temperature from escaping when you open those doors. He installed the panels. We'll get the 26% tax credit on those. I got the Chevy Bolt in 2018. So you've got a Chevy Bolt up here at the top of the drive. You've got your son's Nissan Leaf. How have your kids responded to your you know, venture into renewable energy and electric cars? Oh, they love it because they know a lot of our energy comes from the sun. About it, it's knocked about half of our power bill down. As you can see, we have some trees up here, so we, we're not the most optimum house for solar. But we do have some good sunshine. The way the trees are, are there, we took a few out because my wife wanted to take some down anyway. And um, my son never goes to the gas station. Never has to go to the gas station um, unless he's thirsty or maybe needs a bathroom. But uh, life is good when you can just cut that whole part of your uh, once once a week, once every two weeks, take that out of the equation. Just plug it in when you get in the garage. I'm happy to, to plug your Chevy Volt in. Going to Jefferson, you're going to need all the juice you can to go in pure electric. And then to Houston for home. But I'm happy to, any EV who comes, I'm happy to let you use some, some juice. 
I appreciate you letting me plug in here. In our last minute, where do you see where do you see things going for energy in the U.S. over the next ten years? What what's, what is your your projection? I'd say it's renewables are going to win out. Just just the cost alone already. Solar uh, is already far far below anything else. So I don't think there will be any new gas plants, coal plants, and the ones that we have. Um, are probably getting retired sooner rather than later just because of the cost. Forget about the planet, forget about the oceans, the atmosphere, air pollution. Just on that alone, I know in Texas, uh, in certain parts of Texas, you can get free energy all night because they have so much wind already that, they, that they've developed over the past um, decade or two. I was with uh, several EMC presidents recently, and a couple of them are giving free energy overnight if you have an electric car. So I really, I really uh, think that as utilities embrace this uh, and do rebates like you got from Jackson EMC, we're going to see more and more people take advantage of this. Thanks a lot for letting me uh, intrude uh, here with your family. You got your little pig out here, uh, your little miniature pot belly pig, and your rescue dog. And I uh, appreciate you letting me drop in on your family today. Yes, sir. Thank you for any time. And uh, let me know when we have better sunshine, and I'll have a, a, uh, a vegan uh, sun uh, lasagna cooked with my ghost sun grill. Good for 600 degrees Fahrenheit on sunny days. I look forward to that. I love Italian food. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. Stick around. We'll be right back on Energy Matters. Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AmLaw 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters. Great to welcome back into our COVID studio, Casey Boyce, my co-host from Decatur. Casey, how's it going? I'm good, Tim. Good to be with you this morning. Thanks a lot. Uh, AJ Orban will be our guest today. AJ uh, is doing some very cool things with recycling of solar panels, Casey, and I want to get into it because it has been something that we've talked about extensively on this show, whether we need to, to be planning for this, just like we plan for decommissioning nuclear power plants, or whether we can just fly by the seat of our pants on this. So, Casey, why don't you introduce our guest? Sure. So uh, our guest today, AJ Orban, is with a company called We Recycle Solar. He comes to us out of New York, so something that our, our COVID studios enable. Uh, AJ, great to have you with us today. Thank you, gentlemen. I uh I'm very happy to be uh, a guest on your show. Yeah. So, AJ, tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you start this company? How did you end up in the the solar space and, and you know, with recycling? As a whole, you know, our company was really formed by industry veterans of the hazardous waste disposal, waste management, 
electronics and metals recycling and reverse logistics industries. Um, my background in particular was in electronics and metals recycling, uh, more so in a niche, el a niche element of it, uh, which is referred to as ITAD, essentially working with corporate America to take in old computer products, refurbish them, and redeploy hmm. them. Uh, we really started to get more heavily involved in solar about three to four years ago, um, processing solar panels. And it really took us about four years to finally form a dedicated entity to the solar industry. So really, we just looked at it as uh, a newer product set. Yeah. AJ, I mean, before solar, what was the most difficult thing to recycle besides of course nuclear waste i mean was it the televisions with the tubes in it was it the was it computers uh what what was the previously most challenging thing so i would say previously and still currently in in that realm uh would likely be the old cathode ray tube televisions and computer monitors you know each of those containing eight to 10 pounds of lead and mercury content. Um, very few processors had the capability of truly processing those. And um, there's actually, unfortunately, a lot of similarities between that and solar panels. Hmm. Um, very similar. So AJ, I know that we approved with Georgia Power a recycling, a refrigerator recycling program where we give a customer $50 if they'll allow us to come pick up an old refrigerator. That refrigerator is taken to Tucker, Georgia and disassembled right down to every little piece. And then they, they uh, I guess, part, part, part of it out, recycle traditionally, I guess, the plastics. Uh, is, is what you've done with television and electronics, things that have all of this mercury in it, is that, is that a similar uh style of recycling where you're actually breaking the the old tv open and you're pulling the parts out and putting this in this basket and that in that basket is that how it works in a in a generalized sense yes um again from a technical standpoint it, it's far beyond that um especially when you're talking about solar there are very similar aspects to it but there's also it, it's fairly limited in what it is meaning on a solar panel, if that glass is shattered and broken, there's really not much that you could do at that point to feasibly repair it for redeployment. And there's really not much you can be harvesting. You know, in a refrigerator scenario or a television, there might be certain aspects that device that you could harvest for potential reuse, much like a car. You know, if a car is totaled, you might be able to recover the hubcaps or the engine or the mirrors and they can go to a salvage yard and be reutilized the next time someone gets in an accident and needs a replacement part so aj help help me understand because i've seen solar panels being made I actually had a chance to go up to uh, the largest module production uh, facility in the u.s up in whitfield county in georgia hanwa q cells and it, it, they look pretty simple right you've got these these silicon wafers that are the solar cells and they kind of sandwich it between a couple of plates of glass and they've got like an aluminum frame around it but but unpack that a little bit more like when you're recycling these solar panels like how do you how do you take them apart? What kinds of materials are you getting out of them? Um, like I said, it seems like it's fairly simple, but you indicated earlier that this is something that took a few years for you guys to figure out, right? I would say, you know, that took it took a few years to kind of develop the market where we could make it a viable business. Um, in terms of process, I could tell you we've refined that process over the last three years. Um, it is more challenging than traditional electronics because as you mentioned okay there's the silicon wafer um, in the manufacturing process that gets bonded to say the glass um, so it's not simply taking this solar panel and throwing it into a shredder and having little bits of metal come out of it um, there is a physical processing essentially you know the modules are dismantled uh, where you know the aluminum framing comes off the remaining portion of it, which is going to be that glass and the cells that are all bonded together are going to go through a shredder. Um, and then they're going to undergo a secondary chemical separation that's actually going to separate the raw materials. And we're able to recover 
the, the raw components or commodities, um, which in a solar panel is traditionally speaking uh, aluminum, copper, glass, lead, silicon, and silver. Um, it, it's really more of a, uh, you know, as I will often say, we did not necessarily invent solar recycling. You know, the, the ability to do so was likely there from solar's inception. It's really more of a question of economics. Um, and then the, the other real element to it is that in addition, um, you know, many solar panels can actually be considered hazardous under the federal ruling for particular levels of metals such as lead and silver. Yeah, so AJ, I'll do out my life. I've gone to scrap yards, right? You know, and taken the old grill out there or the old refrigerator or whatever. And, you know, it's always a fascinating thing for me as I see this pile of stuff over here, a pile there, a giant magnet picking up stuff and moving it to one train car. And then, you know, they go up into this big shredder. I mean, is is a solar recycling facility kind of like that? Are there magnets? Are there conveyor belts and that kind of thing? Just like a traditional scrapyard? Yeah, I would say we're not set up as a scrapyard per se, uh, not in that same element. We do have like a manuf- I guess what you would consider to be in somewhat a manufacturing line with um, essentially the conveyors and then shredders. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's sorters in place to separate once the metals have been separated from the panel you know there's like optical sorters and things that actually separate that material before it goes to a metals mill or refinery um but it's not set up in that same fashion again like metals recycling is very easy in comparison to solar recycling because as you just mentioned you could take a you know a salvage vehicle you could take a grill you could take uh you could take the racking system from a solar uh, system and you could essentially throw it into a giant industrialized shredder and shred it up and then take that aluminum and that steel to a mill and have it refined back, back to the raw commodity. Um, and that's just not feasible in the current form uh, of a solar panel. You know, Casey, you remember when we had, I think, Damon own and we were talking about repurposing, reusing, repurposing, recycling and how one's better than the other i wonder can you kind of explain that to our audience and then let's put this question to aj is there a way to do something in in his mind other than running it through the shredder casey can you explain that yeah so uh, the idea is obviously if if you've got something that can be reused for its original purpose that's that's the best thing right so think a used car right maybe you're done with it you need something that's larger but certainly someone can get more years of life out of it um, you know, that, that reduces the, uh, the impact repurposing is this interesting idea of, you know, taking something that was meant for one use and using it for something else. So our guest, a, a few weeks back, uh, who runs a, a you know, a fun scrapyard for repurposed materials, you know, talked about things like, you know, taking old fire hose and using that as, as, you know, bumpers for, uh, various things. I'm thinking you could take a solar panel and use it for sledding, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking winter here. Um, and. And then, of course, recycling is where you're doing what you're talking about, AJ, right, which is where you take the materials that are in something and you completely take them back to the raw materials and, you know, you can then you build them into something else entirely. And, of course, that's not as energy intensive as starting from scratch, but it is more energy intensive than reusing or repurposing. Yeah, in our last 30 seconds of this segment, AJ, just kind of just kind of hit the high point on this, and we're going to come back on the next segment and talk about it a little more. What do you think with Casey's question there? Sure. So I don't want to pigeonhole us as being a one-trick pony. You know, the reality is we offer more than simply recycling. We are actively looking to extend the useful life of solar devices in which we do refurbish and redeploy them often to marketplaces where solar is not as economically accessible. So we do follow the EPA's hierarchy of reduce, reuse, recycle, which generally speaking is in that order. And really, reuse is our primary motive. Yeah, so let's come back uh, and talk to AJ some more about this. I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter. He's at KC Boys. And the website for AJ is? WeRecycleSolar.com. 
We RecycleSolar.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with A.J. Orban and talk more about recycling. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey Boyce here with your host, Tim Eccles and AJ Orban from We Recycle Solar. So AJ, we were talking before the break about, you know, the hierarchy of reduce, reuse, recycle. And, um, you know, certainly appreciate hearing that you guys are doing that and certainly a lot of opportunity to to reuse and repurpose uh, solar. I, You know, you talked a little bit in the last segment about how it took you guys quite a while to really develop the market for solar recycling. And and I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, particularly because, you know, from what I've seen, solar panels have a really long lifetime. I mean, there are some that were installed back in the 70s that are still producing. And I know, you know, the panels that I've got on my house, that they've got a 25-year production warranty. I mean, it doesn't sound like they they really wear down all that quickly. But, you know, as, as Tim has talked about, he and his fellow commissioners are really trying to think about end of life for, you know, particularly all of the utility scale solar that's going in in Georgia. So, like, what does that market development look like and particularly the the kind of sourcing the raw materials, the, the panels or the cells themselves? Sure. So, I mean, uh, you know, without giving too much about our, our business in per se, um, I, I would say that, you know, really um, there, uh, you know, end of life is a very broad term because end of life may not necessarily indicate year 20, year 30, when the panels have exceeded their warranties, or um, it could be something like, hey, we put up a solar site a year ago and we had a hailstorm roll through that completely decimated it. Um, it could be, hey, we're a developer and we've already hit our ROI on an existing development. Let's take those panels, let's replace them with newer, more energy efficient panels and have reusable panels from the from the remaining site, much like a cell phone upgrade. Um, so, you know, that is something that has actively been taking place, you know, really within the US, um, kind of unbeknownst to people outside of the industry. Yeah, you know, as I think about Georgia with 10 or 15 million panels out there, I mean, who is it that we need to be recruiting to start thinking about this? Is it the the scrap metal guy? Uh, I mean, is it a is it 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 sounds like that's the most similar business model that's out there, or is it someone else? I mean, who's gonna? How are we gonna stand this up? Because we can't we can't load these things in a truck and take them to New York and have it be economically feasible, can we? That's just too much. That's too much shipping. Well, so uh, shipping is probably the least of the issues when it comes to uh, recycling at that scale. 
the reality is it's really more about the economics of the panels themselves. Uh, you know, using uh, salvage cars as an example, as we kind of spoke about earlier, you know, you could take a car that was in an accident, you could potentially fix it and resell it into an international market or even domestically for maybe a couple thousand dollars. You could take that car and for lack of better terms, chop it up and sell the parts for you know several thousand dollars. Or you could take that car as a raw commodity of being you know aluminum or steel and shredding it and refining it and seeing the commodity value there. The biggest challenge is not being able to do it it's the cost associated with it. The average solar module generates $2 in aluminum, copper, glass, lead, silicon, and silver. That's after you spend somewhere in the neighborhood of $15 to $25 in raw processing to get there. The reason that this, this program really works in, say, the European market where it started is because under the WE Directive, the recycling efforts are fully subsidized by the manufacturers and the government. In the U.S., that doesn't exist. So it's just, it's really not economically feasible because whether it was going to us or whether it was going to another processor, a legitimate processor, there's a cost involved. Casey, I hope we don't, I hope we're not sitting here in 15 years looking back and saying, man, we should have, we should have um, constructed that RFP with a requirement that these manufacturers take these panels back, or the developer. I mean, a lot of these manufacturers and developers have gone out of business. How you can, how, how can you possibly enforce that? I mean, it seems like it seems like it's going to be, you know, very difficult. You know, uh, you know, to you know, moving forward to be able to be assured that this is happening with anything other than some kind of a bond. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where my head was going, right, is that you, you have a performance bond or a, you know, materials bond up front that, you know, the manufacturer pays to say, hey, look, regardless of whether I'm here in 15 years, 30 years, whenever it is, this money is set aside to deal with some of these costs. I mean, otherwise, AJ, I mean, it, it sounds like what you're talking about is that, you know, if the opportunity cost is on the order of like 20 to, to $30, that's when you actually, in the U.S. at least, start to see those panels being recycled because, you know, you, you've got the ability to, to make the numbers work, but otherwise it just, it, it doesn't. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. And, and yeah. you know, Tim, wow. you, you mentioned earlier, um, like television monitors. And I'm sure as you're aware, there's a lot of parallels here between solar panel recycling and electronics recycling, in particular, the processing of uh, cathode ray tube televisions. You know, that's at a cost. And over the last decade, you've seen many issues uh, with stockpiling of that material across the U.S. by processors that are not capable of actually processing the material, which has led to Superfund sites across the U.S. Sadly speaking, that's kind of the same thing with solar panels. Um, you know, under the federal uh, EPA law, RICRA, a solar panel is considered a hazardous waste. Um, it's considered a hazardous waste when it's been removed from service and will no longer be reused. If it's been damaged, uh, if it's been slated as a waste or for disposal, or until you've done the chemical testing necessary to prove that it is non-hazardous. We actually do the chemical analysis of every module we receive. We primarily do so for the benefit of our utility clientele. And what I can tell you is at the federal level, a little more than two-thirds of all panels are in fact legally hazardous for elevated levels of lead and silver content. Now, California is the only state that, of course, in their typical way, supersedes the federal ruling. And so those very same panels in the state of California, currently nine out of 10 are hazardous for the additional inclusion of metals such as copper or zinc. So solar panels, in a way, it's like taking a lead acid battery and throwing it in the ocean. It's there's hazardous material inside of them and it needs to be accounted for and it needs to be processed correctly. And that's at a cost. To all my friends out there, Casey, who are are on our case about this coal ash, 
I don't know if you just heard what AJ said, but it's going to be a tweet. I can assure you that in California, nine out of 10 of those panels are hazarded, and it's like throwing a lead-acid battery into the ocean. I mean, Casey, that's pretty strong. Yeah. Well, and that was exactly where I was going, right? I mean, you've talked on the show before about the challenges that you're facing with coal ash, and right, that's something that's got to get cleaned up. And, you know, I think what AJ is highlighting is, look, you know, anything we do has got a potential environmental impact. Is is solar better than coal for the environment? I would argue, yes, absolutely. But is solar completely impactless? No, no, because, you know, you need to use the materials. And so, you know, I think this gets back to what, you know, you've been talking about for a while, Tim, which is this idea that, you know, as, as you and your, your fellow commissioners are working with the utility to get more solar in Georgia, you know, you need to be thinking about what that end of life looks like, just as you are with batteries, right? Because otherwise, there's going to be a commissioner sitting in your seat in 50 years that's saying, man, what were these guys 50 years ago doing? Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to a company that um, is building a pilot project in Switzerland. Uh, it came out of Pasadena, actually, of where they're taking old coal ash and making making five ton weights and building towers that are 300 feet high and using, you know, kinetic energy, raising up those large stones of coal ash at night and lowering down like regenerative braking or ship to shore electric cranes and creating essentially, you know, a a storage facility. Uh, You know, so there are all kind of creative things out there, Casey. But to your point, there is no form of energy that doesn't have any impact. And so to really, I mean, to really see the total impact of solar, you have to go back to the mining of the material. And if most of it's made in China, you've got to look at who's making it. Is it slave labor? Is it, you know, what's the conditions of the workers and all the fuel that it takes to get across here and setting it up and all this end of the life stuff AJ's talking about. I mean, I'm not poo-pooing solar. I love solar. But I think to be honest, and this is what I, I, I try to I try to have some kind of rational argument with people, no form of energy is perfect. And I think AJ has made the point that there are some costs here to solar that I don't hear anybody talking about at feel good meetings. You know, if I could say Tim, um the way that I look at solar is really like any other product set, you know there there's a cost of disposal there's a cost of disposal for everything um you know and and that's something that most people are not aware of uh yeah you know with my background in particular you know recycling um yeah there, there's a cost to processing this because there's no value in the raw material well it's been great having aj uh, open our eyes here today and I, I may get some hate mail on this aj but i really appreciate you sharing this great to have you on the show thank you very much I appreciate your time, gentlemen. Yeah, always good to be with you. Casey, we'll be back one more segment in just a minute. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev-hybrid.com. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Better Tomorrow Solar. Imagine a world powered by sunlight. Imagine your home powered by sunlight. Better Tomorrow Solar has a passion for helping you see this for yourself. 
They've worked hard to overcome the chief obstacle to solar adoption, its initial cost. In some cases, they can install your solar panels at no cost, then charge a predetermined, stable rate for the energy used. In other cases, Better Tomorrow Solar has creative ways to finance the installation so the monthly payments are lower than the energy savings. Find out more at BetterTomorrowSolar.com. That's BetterTomorrowSolar.com and see how you make your world better. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey Boyce here today with Tim Eccles, your host, and we're going to wrap up the show uh, changing tax a little bit. We spoke in the previous section uh, about how solar has its environmental impacts. And of course, Tim, you know, any sort of energy has its environmental impacts. And and we're going to wrap up talking a little bit about something that, that you just spoke today uh, on as we're recording here uh, about how the impact of solar, wind and other technologies impact how you manage demand on the grid. Yeah, Casey, uh, there's something called demand response. And Georgia has about a thousand megawatts or one gigawatt of demand reduction, uh, which is about 6% of our, our, our peak load. So maybe you can put that in plain terms for our audience. What are we talking about with demand response? So one, it is an absolutely awful name. Um, obviously, the marketing people were not involved in it. But basically, the idea <laughs> is that when there are issues on the grid, right, you, you need more capacity on the grid, you know, people are using a lot of power, I think hot summer days, right, um, that the utility can call on people who are using a lot of energy during those times and say, hey, kind of throttle it back a little bit. So, you know, certainly this happens with a lot of industrial customers, they can actually, you know, slow down or shut down production, things like that. But even on the residential side, you know, I know Georgia Power's got a program where you can install a little switch on your your HVAC and let them turn it off during times uh, when there's significant demand on the system. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with that because that that's called a power credit, and that's one of the things uh, in, uh, in in their arsenal, I guess, of demand reduction is that air conditioned units can be cycled off during a system need uh, and you are compensated when that happens and so these i guess uh signals price signals that that the power company would send casey to whether it's individuals on their home air condition or companies they're important right that they be a signal that one the company or person gets and that they care about and that they take action on, correct? Yeah, so I, there's a couple of ways of thinking about it. And I'm curious, you know, sort of what, what your thoughts are on this. One is kind of traditional demand response where the power company sends a signal and that load turns off, right? So they send a signal and your air conditioner stops working for a period of time. The other is what's called behavioral demand response where, you know, maybe you notify customers, but they still have a choice about how they respond. And things like time of use that we've talked about on the the show before are kind of forms of behavioral demand response where you still have a choice about how you use energy. You just pay more if it's one of those high demand periods. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how folks feel about it. I mean, if you you sign up for a power credit, you know that my air condition can be cycled off and I'm going to be compensated. So I think the decision is made at the point that you sign up on. And I remember during California's recent blackouts, there were numbers of officials kind of begging people to turn the power off the next day or the day after please everyone try to limit you there's that kind of a you know there's that kind of a signal where leaders are begging people to do something because they're in a crisis and then uh, there's more preventative things that are set up in advance approved by the commission you know that's i guess more of a system and that's what we've got with with this power credit on uh, on air conditioned units and being able to cycle them off at, at time of need. And for a lot of people, you know, I think a lot of people would be open to that uh, if you're going to get a credit when that happens, because I mean, people are tight on money these days and any little thing might help. And if you're going to turn my AC off for 15 minutes, well, I mean, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, d- Tim, does the power credit program, does it work with smart thermostats or is it still the the kind of switch that gets installed on the air conditioning unit that, that the power company can signal to? Yeah, no, it's, it, it is more sophisticated now than it has been because of smart meters and smart thermostats. In fact, that's the second program we've got, Casey, 
is a thermostat demand response. And that is where homes can be preconditioned prior to a projected system need. So that's kind of, uh, you know, the system that you use on your time of use rate where you pre-cool your house, where there's actually a way for the power company to do that. And we're experimenting with that now, you know, as a result of our IRP. And we'll see how, you know, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, and there's not that many customers doing this, but uh, the power company can pre-cool, which then makes you more comfortable at two o'clock when they turn it off. Yeah, and, and that's exactly why I asked because these smart thermostats, they've got some really good algorithm uh, algorithms in there and they have some good temperature sensors and they kind of understand the thermodynamics of the house and you know all of that geeky stuff that we talked with Joel Gilbert from Apogee about uh, a while back on the show. And they, they do that automatically, right? So, you know, whereas the previous one had kind of a dumb switch that just turned off the AC for, you know, period of time 15 minutes or whatever as you just said right customers who are on the smart thermostat they may notice no difference at all in terms of how their home feels during that event yeah so you really have an algorithm running your you know running your climate control system and i think people are more and more comfortable with algorithms and they uh, they feel like hey you know it, it all works out in the end and i'm getting a little money for it or i'm saving money folks out there listening if you're interested you know, in this, hit us up on Twitter and we'll give you more information. Casey, I want to go to this next area, which is uh, the abbreviation DPEC, and it's really an interruptible supply where customers can earn credits for reducing their loads when there's a system need. And so this interruptible rate, and we have this with gas as well, so you get a cheaper tariff or a cheaper gas rate and you you know that you may be asked to curtail is the word we use in the energy business. So, you know, if you're a factory and you're making, say, chips and in the winter, the gas company says, hey, we, we've, we're we constrained. We need you not to turn on tomorrow. Well, your factory's not making chips tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you have to comply with that or you face fines. Well, this is a, a much friendlier version of that. But customers can you can earn credits by you know by reducing your load when there's a system need and 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 about a third of this megawatt uh, i mean this gigawatt of savings casey that we have about a third of that is the dpec which is demand plus energy credit so if there's a demand you get an energy credit. That's what it stands for. And is that a residential program or just a, a industrial program? We're experimenting with residential right now. Very cool. The next one is something you're familiar with, this time of use or real-time pricing when it comes to businesses. In this case, with businesses, it sends a day ahead, an hour ahead marginal price signal to business customers in real time. So the customers are getting this day ahead and an hour ahead, and they they know whether or not they want to curtail or not. So when I mean curtail, if if you know that energy is going to go up to 30 cent, you know, a, a kilowatt, $30 a megawatt for, you know, for your business, you may decide, you know what, hey, we're going to bring everybody in for an early shift tomorrow and we're going to knock off at two o'clock. Yeah, interesting. And I I know that there are some utilities that are doing that on the residential side as well, like ComEd in Illinois and I believe Southern California Edison um, are offering real-time pricing to their residential customers so that they can do that same planning ahead and and save money if they can shift, you know, when they're using energy around. In a way, that's what the Californians were doing with with their people, with their their begging that next day. They weren't giving them any incentive necessarily, but they were – uh, actually, they were. I think they were saying, look, if we all curtail tomorrow at three o'clock, the grid won't go down. <laughs> That's uh, a good so, incentive. <laughs> yeah. It's not really the way I want to run the grid. Uh, but, you know, the Californians were in a jam. All right. Let's go to the last part of this demand response program. And that is something that's really cool. Uh, and it's a it's a comfort. It's, it's called conservation voltage regulation and so the power company can activate this and then it lowers voltage at substations and reduces line losses i mean how cool is that it's happening when probably in the middle of the night when you don't even know it that's very cool yeah i mean it seems like optimizing the efficiency of the system that way makes a lot of sense right so around a quarter 
of our savings is real-time pricing. And I mentioned that the DPEC, uh, the, this demand plus energy credit, that's about a third. But the biggest part of our demand response really is, uh, is, is these uh, substation this action that the power company takes, you know, at at the substation in order to, uh, you know, keep the line losses, you know, to a minimum. And, you know, it's here's 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 how it works, Casey. Uh, it works. The power company sends a command to the voltage regulators to reduce voltage by about three to five percent on distribution lines. And obviously that's going to reduce line losses. Uh, voltage regulators maintain these aren't people. These are you know, this equipment, equipment yeah. voltage regulators maintain system voltages within a defined and acceptable range. And so this capability was made possible by upgrading the distribution center. This happened uh, around 2010, 11, 12 through the DOE stimulus grant. And it allows the system voltage to be maintained in a tight band. And Georgia Power strategically located these capacitors along lines and they can switch them in specific order to maintain voltage levels in an acceptable band for our customers out there. So it's, it's really cool. So, Casey, these are just a few of the ways that, uh, that we have demand response opportunities in Georgia. And, and that's going to enable us to incorporate more variable renewables on the grid as we go forward, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Well, I hope everybody learned a little something today. It's uh, been a great, great show today, Casey. Indeed. You stay safe over there. You do the same. Take care. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Have a great day, everyone. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to gemcarservice.com. That's G-E-M, carservice.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Come.